Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's podcast episode featuring autism advocate and consultant Lori Hogan-Camp. Lori is actually on the autism spectrum herself and has studied neuroscience and stress-related behaviors for over 20 years. Her love of science drives her passion for understanding the complex patterns of abilities and disabilities of those on the autism spectrum. Stay tuned to listen to her incredible story, and she shares so much great information from her research. If you're enjoying this podcast, can I ask you of a little favor? Could you rate and review My Autism Tribe wherever you listen to podcasts? It allows us to make our voices stronger by extending our reach. Send me a message if you want. Let me know if there's a subject if you'd like to hear about, and don't forget to check us out on all of the My Autism Tribe social platforms. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to My Autism Tribe, an organization of advocates that are educating, supporting, and empowering those in our communities. We are one voice made stronger. I'm your host, Susan Scott. Lori Hogan Camp explores the idea Autism as a stress adaptation and publicly speaks to parents, adults, teachers, and healthcare professionals about using advanced physics to develop stress models to help understand and create innovative solutions for autistics, their environment, and their families. She uses her knowledge to develop innovative stress management programs and seminars for professional education and health organizations. Let's please welcome Lori. Thanks so much for joining us today, Lori. Oh, well, thanks for having me. Uh, we talked a little bit offline before we hopped on the call today, and you had sent some information over to me last week that I really had a better chance of diving deep into all of the information that you've done, all of the research that you've done on stress and adaptation, and a lot of it, like we talked about earlier, just blew my mind because I really mm-hmm. just had no idea, had never really thought about looking at it from this perspective and you opened my eyes to so many just fascinating things. So I'm really excited for everyone to hear all that you have to share. So um, I did let everyone know that you um, are on the spectrum yourself. And Mm -hmm. if you want, uh, can you kind of share a little bit of your backstory with that before we kind of start digging deep into all of the research that you've done? Sure. Um, Well, I I self-diagnosed in my early 30s, um, and I got officially diagnosed in my early 40s. Um, And yeah, when you're kind of coming to those terms, I think it took me a year or two to kind of let it really sink in and absorb. And then you start going through all the memories of your childhood, and and a lot of light is shed on that. Um, Because you you do tend to mask. You do tend to say, oh, everything was fine. I didn't have any problems. But when you look back, you're like, oh, there was a lot of really obvious clues that this was going on and um you just didn't really have any help back then other than um you know doctors just telling you something's wrong but nothing's wrong and um teachers just doing the best they can to you know help you through your way um i know a lot of my pretty typical i think struggles um um, I, i think people would probably put me on the asperger side the little professor side but i really didn't couldn't relate to kids at all growing up um I really thought I was an alien. That was always a good description. Um, but I didn't really understand that other people existed in probably till the first or second grade. Um, then by third grade, no one really would talk to me. Um, I had decided by the fourth grade if you know I couldn't belong in the world, I didn't want to be in the world, which then led to 
um, the school having staging ma a major intervention. Um, they held an assembly without me, and everyone decided that they would tell me why they didn't like me. <laughs> so oh that gosh. was my therapy and training back then to teach me how to be more social as the kids were then, you know, forced to talk to me and to engage. And then by seventh or eighth grade, I was adopted by friends, um, had a couple harrowing uh, experiences, but did have a best friend kind of adopt me and put me under her wing. And so I, I found my way um, through a lot of great teachers and um, support professionals and, and high, high school counselors that um, helped me through. It was never easy, but you know, you kind of get through high school. And then in college, I really fell apart. I ended up dropping out of college um, twice. Yeah. But I did eventually finish. And I have a degree in psychology and neuroscience. So I liked it. I loved studying the brain. I started in systems analysis, which is computers. So I love to do coding. I loved math and science. Um, those uh, uh, high grades in, in high school. And um, once I um, got a little bored with computers, I realized the human brain was just as fascinating and switched my studies to that, studied what's called psychoneuroimmunology, which is the study and crossover of the brain, nutrition, um, and immunology, so how we uh, stress ourselves out, basically. Gosh, I think we all should take that class. <laughs> Not that all of us would understand it and, and do as well as you did. But uh, yeah, the brain is such a fascinating thing. And uh, even if you're not really, quote unquote, into it, um, you know, all of us can learn so much about not only ourselves, but each other and, and what makes all of us tick. And yeah. we're all just such complex individuals. Sure. Yeah. Being the outside looking in, I mean, I found people fascinating, human behavior enthralling. Oh yeah. And just even you going back to your, it was such a, such a sad way that you put it, uh, just your, your younger years and how the school formed the intervention and all of those little things can be such large things mm -hmm. in, you know, just creating us, um, as, as the people that we are today. And what's, what's great is that you turned all of this, um, your, your passions and your interests and your experiences into something that you have been able to provide help to people for um, explanations, I think, for ways of looking at things and understanding people, understanding yourself. And I know that you certainly did that for me. Once you graduated college, I guess, what, what did you decide? You know, you have a piece of paper now. What, what did that path look like into some of the research that you started doing and, and, uh, how did you kind of navigate that path? Um, well, I had a lot of breakdowns, um, what we call autistic burnout nowadays. But I always thought I'd go back to school. Um, and so I continued studying the brain, continued studying stress. Um, I studied personality theories. Um, and when I got very sick myself, um, I realized, you know, that we're doing science wrong. So we would, you know, the way that we look for things is we look for a single cause. So we think either something caused something to be broken in the brain. And when I took a step back um, and had the background research that I had to, and I also have a love of science and physics, and it, it occurred to me that we're doing science wrong. You know, we're looking at 
any kind of mental health disorder as again, something broken in the brain when really these are adaptations. So the body down regulates and becomes, it goes into energy saving mode and you know, which we think of as depression and anxiety mode, which is a hyper alert mode. Instead of saying that it's broken, really we're just being amplified. So when I continued down that road and studying it and looking at this instead of like a cause and effect, like weather patterns in particular climates, that certain personalities were sort of predisposed to when they're under distress to exhibit certain traits and trade-offs. And then um, continuing that search, I found autism. Um, didn't really know a lot about it before then, other than you know what you learn basics in college. And I just started putting things together and over years developed and realized, you know, this is a stress adaptation, early life stress adaptation. You know, we're not broken. There are lots of things that we can do to help re-regulate stress, re-regulate emotions. Um, we're always going to be this way. We were amplified early. So there's always going to be that struggle and there's always going to be these traits and trade-offs and everyone has a different manifestation of those trade-offs. But that, you know, when we look at this and build a framework to understand it in, there are a lot of ways to address it and to create a better life and thrive living with autism. Wow. And not only just autism, but any kind of, yeah, individual can, can benefit from this. When we finished our call um, last week, when you were just kind of shedding light on so many different things, I really kind of started taking a closer look at myself, you know, and <laughs> exactly. I'm like, gosh, what? let me really kind of dig deep into, into myself and see how, especially during this crazy time, yeah. you know, of, of we're all just trying to find that new normal and we're all stressing and, and reacting in different ways and adapting in different ways. And you hear a lot with autism, people are sort of like, everybody else is in this panic mode and this is sort of normal for us Yeah, because we have sort of been, again, it's like that amplification and we're, we're, we're living in that, that world all the time. So, but like folks like yourself, when I do my talks, um, I, I, I love when folks that think that they were neurotypical say, Oh, I have these traits too. And I say, yeah, just imagine that that dial is turned up and yeah. what would life be like if you were constantly overwhelmed with your environment and information so what you can relate to on a small scale you know can be just amplified and that's what's really happening with a lot of uh, the folks on the spectrum um and again a lot of the things that can apply to be helpful for folks with autism can be applied generally to the public to be helpful as well sure definitely so as far as what was your first i guess um dive into research what how how does research go for something like this like I people say i do research from, what does that mean before the internet started uh <laughs> susan i was that kid at the library with 15 to 30 books open on a table wow that sounds so when like the my internet son, came around, i was i'm an information obsessive um i speed read and you know i don't buy i don't get one book on a subject i get 10 books on a subject yeah so I've always had that research brain. I always had this insatiable curiosity. Um, on autism, we, we uh, discuss uh, picture pattern and word thinkers. Um, Temple Grandin came up with a, a lot of those. Um, I mean, it comes from even studying like brains and how people process, but Temple Grandin um, points it out with autism that there are picture pattern and word thinkers. And there's usually combinations, but I'm, a, I'm mostly a pattern thinker, which is a hyper-systemizing brain. Um, I also think we have hyper empathizers on uh, the spectrum. So that's why, you know, when you take the stress approach, you see that there's a lot of opposites because when you get amplified, 
I get amplified as a hyper systemizer. So I want to systemize and organize information and patterns and I constantly overwhelmed with information, but somebody who's hyper empathizing might be overwhelmed by emotions and people's thoughts and processes. They kind of shut down with that. So when you take that stress approach, you're not looking for the exact same thing for an autism diagnosis. You, you know that there's going to be a lot of variability and you know that there's going to be opposites on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a lot of what we miss when we think there should be one thing instead of looking at this as, you know, weather patterns. And um, that's kind of one of my main messages is if we start playing by different rules or thinking of things in a different way, then a lot of the research and what we think of as conflicting evidence will actually make much more sense. So how might someone approach, um, you know, I, I guess is this isn't something that's being used mm -hmm. by doctors per se. Like if, if you go in and they're doing well, they, a they understand some of the general concepts, but yeah, there's no real set way to, to truly address it in this way yet. And so how might someone like a loved one, if you are a picture thinker, or I, I can almost guarantee that my son, even though he is, he's very systematic, he does like patterns and stuff, but as far as the empathy, um, mm -hmm. I really do think that that's probably where he is, um, just, and I don't know, that's just me as a parent, I'm not mm -hmm. a professional or anything like that, but how might a loved one I guess, wrap their head around how to respond, mm -hmm. um, how to nurture someone in each of those ways of thinking. Um, or I'm not even sure if that's the correct question to ask. It, it's a good question to start. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's a lot like um, where they teach to those styles. You don't want to teach to a certain style just because um, the thinking type exists. Um, I don't know that there's going to be a one-to-one -one answer for that. I think in general, you do have to get to know your own child and you know, and I think a lot of parents intuitively know a lot of what I'm saying. For me, I'm, I'm just presenting the science that validates what they already know, which mm. is to create a, a loving, welcoming, uh, strength-based, strong environment, you know, where they think, you know, you, you can't just find something wrong with your child or find something wrong with me. You have to say, well, how can we work through this? So it's a lot of indirect approaches to get better behavior as opposed to just addressing that this behavior is wrong or that kind of thing. Um, and, and really, like when you when you look at a stress approach, you're really just looking at all the different approaches that are out there and how we might combine them to create the most enriched environments for our children to thrive in. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. So um, there are a lot of professionals out there, I think, that are already taking that approach. But sometimes you get people that'll think that this is something toxic and, and it's not, it's an adaptation. Um, and again, sometimes people are still thinking of in that cure model, like we have to fix something and, and you kind of have to move past that. It's not that you don't want things to get better. We absolutely want to be metabolically and nutritionally and um, psychologically in a better place. Um, but that's just going to look different for everyone. Yeah. It, there's no set way. We were, and we were talking earlier. It's not, when we when you talk about like the therapy based approaches, mm -hmm. it may not be just ABA therapy. It may not be just speech therapy. You know, it's it's and every person has to be approached with a a different thing. And and maybe um and and you also mentioned something 
like as far as like all, a lot of the biomedical approaches, mm-hmm. what, what, what works for one person may not work for another. And, and it may be the right time, the wrong time. Sometimes yes. things might work for you and the next time it will do nothing because it's just sort of filling in a space that helps you create balance at that time. But once that balance gets taken, then you get to another level or a different level. And a lot of times it can be one, it feel like one step forward and two steps back as you're trying to improve or as, you know, for me, you know, I could barely leave my house at one time. And I knew I basically set up a program for myself that addressed some of the social isolation issues, addressed some of the, like creating three small victories every day and then getting some of my nutrition back. And I'm, I could be a very picky eater. My diet can go down to five foods at when I'm under a lot of stress and Mm -hmm. you kind of have to be okay with that. Like not judging yourself and not judging anyone else for whatever they're doing at that time to get through, but know that you're always trying to get to a better place and a better state of balance. Yeah, absolutely. It, especially if you you mentioned going back to the very system approach, the very routine approach. And if it goes down to, I know at one time as a parent, you know, when your child has a very limited diet, you know, and you read all of these mom blogs that mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they don't mean to mom shame, but, <laughs> but that's what it felt. It, it yeah. felt like, you know, um, no, my son's not eating avocados. I know they're great for him, but he's not. Not going to eat them. Not yeah, I have them. kind of a personal vendetta against shame because I feel like <laughs> it doesn't work. It, that's the first, like, that's what people sort of default to is shame and guilt. You know, if somebody's, you know, I have a um, client that was, the daughter was struggling with um, a form of anorexia and it's, and a lot of it's aut- her autism is just picky eating and the stress made it, made it, you know, kind of amplified that issue for her mm-hmm. and made it agoraphobic for her. And, um, you know, that f- the father just had it in the mentality that, well, she should just feel bad about it and then she'll start eating again. Yeah. And that mentality backfires because, and again, if you take that stress approach, it's because it's adding more stress yeah. to her already stressed system. And it's just going to take her down that rabbit hole. You know, that's where we really need support. And we, we want to educate ourselves and nobody wants to hurt themselves. But when you're in that moment where that's your only sense of control, people can go down that path. So we, we really need to reevaluate and sometimes even fight against some of our own initial instincts to, to want to do shame or feel bad about something um, or say, say think something is wrong and say, okay, well, how can I fully embrace this? And that's what acceptance is all about. It's really fully embracing good and bad and saying, you know, this is where I'm starting. These are my limits. What can I do to, to help bolster and improve uh, my environment and my situation so that my behavior also improves along with it? And yeah. it takes a very non-judgmental approach to do that. We should all be non-judgmental, you know, and it's a constant practice. (laughs) It is a constant practice and we have to be completely self-aware, you know, uh, every single day with this. So as far as the, the research that you're doing today, and as far as the speaking that you're, you're doing, Mm -hmm. um, when you started doing this 20 years ago, how has that evolved or has it evolved into kind of your viewpoints now? Um, you know, when I first started, it was a lot about getting feedback and I was very concerned and very, you know, it still kind of haunts me because I never want to hurt or offend anyone ever. And I'm a scientist, so I just want people to explore and, and, you know, kind of figure things out for themselves. But I've learned that, you know, that you really do want to just tell your own story and let people 
take what they need from mm -hmm. and also to make things, you know, as simple as possible. Like I will definitely hide behind science. <laughs> well, it's much easier for me to talk about science and much easier to talk about that. But I, I have learned that, you know, the stories are what, what makes a difference in people's lives. And then trying to behind the scenes is, is what I work at a lot with uh, trying to guide research um, and trying to, you know, rebuild things on the professional level so that, you know, they can also get a glimpse into what we're going through and that, you know, there isn't just this one solution. Um, you know, ABA has, has its place, but it certainly shouldn't be our central focus for, um, for what's going on with us. We, we sure. need to have sort of a synergistic, lots of different professionals coming together and having central pieces. I mean, I think there's so many people and so many professionals and researchers and, and physicians and therapists out there that I think once they get a hold of this idea that this will all come together. Um, Cause right now it feels like it's almost like competitive and, and, and you have to choose. And, and I think, you know, everyone's ready for this change, this paradigm shift so yeah. that things can make more sense so, you know, for me, I'm just that little spark trying to light the fire that's already there. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting when you say the types of thinkers, you know, and there are all mm -hmm. of these doctors and I, I'm going to share the link to your website with the presentation that you speak so much on the peripheral mm -hmm. minds of autism. Um, some of it, like I say, is, is very scientific based and maybe a little much, I guess, for, for people, but <laughs> too much you know, is kind of my thing. <laughs> well, Hey, you know what? I think it's better to have too much than not enough. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and so there's so many lessons and you can get as granular as you want really, but kind of going back to the different types of thinkers, like the word thinkers and the pattern thinkers and the picture thinkers, it's really, there, there are three different doctors that, um, that you have kind of corresponded with in each of those thinkings, like the Dr. Lesser, Dr. Fisher, and Dr. Cohen. Mm -hmm. And there's even, um, I guess it, it says the neurobiological correlates to personality, the mm -hmm. Helen Fisher. I want everyone to really check out this link because not only does it go down into maybe the, the granular part of the expressive of the chemical, like the, the personality type. So like the, the word thinkers, Dr. Fisher calls those the negotiator builder. So the expressive of the chemical is estrogen, the characteristics, sees the big picture, has people skills, verbal skills, and then even famous figures mm -hmm. that it correlates with Abraham Lincoln, Bill Clinton, Gandhi. And I just think it's so fascinating I do too. Yeah, I was fascinated with that. And personalities, people seem to think that it's going to fit into a box. Yeah. And they're really dimensional and multidimensional. And there's no, you know, as much as we put them into a category and you can see that on the site, you have to think of it in very fuzzy terms that, you know, this is a, a way somebody might have a predisposition to think in a certain way because the brain is going to grow as a pattern thinker. Whereas these neurochemicals and these things typically will represent a word thinker. Um, and there's just so much insight that we can gain. But what I found fascinating is even myself, you know, we, it's really hard to get out of that linear mindset where you, you're trying to find that one thing that's a cause and one thing that's an outcome. And when I first started this journey, I thought it would be one personality that was more prone to autism, um, which was, of course, would be my type. But when I first read that book by Michael Lesser, um, I read The Stoic, which is 
40 to 60% of the population. And I read that and I'm like, oh, that's me. I'm, I'm superwoman. I want to do everything. I want it all. Yeah. And then I started reading through the rest of the book and I thought, oh, crap. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a star. I'm a dreamer. Actually, I'm a dreamer. And it's 3% of the population that are dreamers. And I realized my whole life, I've been trying to be the wrong personality. Huh. And, How interesting. And that overlays with uh, the experience of a lot of autis autistic people. It's like they've been trying to be neurotypical their yeah. whole lives, but they see it as autism versus normal people, where I see it as five different personalities that are more prone to autism and one person. Uh, most people are uh, what they what Lesser refers to as a stoic because they are the more, most socially oriented. So their brains and their neurochemicals are set up to, to just be really good at keeping everyone together. They're the salt of the earth. And it's right. not a competition. We have to have this diversity, this neurodiversity in order to thrive in communities. And we've evolved that way for, you know, what do you want to say thousands or millions of years? Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's always been present, but we also process stress differently. We also process chemicals differently. We also mm -hmm. process nutrition differently. We have different nutritional needs. And so when we throw off our, our climate, we throw off our homeostasis, all of a sudden stress becomes more stressful and we're getting more and more outcomes and manifestations of issues that aren't really issues. I mean, they're valid things that the brain and body are trying to protect us from, but we're, we, we categorize those as disorders and diseases. But we really need to kind of move away from that model in a way. I mean, categorization still has its place, but we really need to think about it in a much more, these are signs of distress, what's going on? How can we improve our environment to make life better for, for folks? Yeah. You go back to the climate. It says, you know, if, if we see autisms as climates with disruptive mm -hmm. stress systems, there'll be multiple solutions for different subtypes. It's, it, and I don't, this may sound just really, I don't know, maybe I'm thinking about this the wrong way, but let's going back to the climate or weather patterns. If there's a tornado, we would respond differently than if there was an earthquake. And, um, and so there's all of these, um, I guess. And you did, you would um, respond differently to the East coast or West coast of Florida if a hurricane hit. You, you would need different yes. things in place to be protected and you'd need different things happening afterwards to help rebuild the terrain so that it's more stable again. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned on our call before, um, I know that something that you were, you're battling with and, and have battled with are, are migraines, you know, mm -hmm. and you had made the comment that sometimes when you are having a migraine, you are actually able to focus more. Mm -hmm. How? Oh yeah, I can uh, I can give you another example. When I was because um, I, I I was on the basketball team, and um, if I was really upset, <laughs> really mm -hmm. angry, or really you know fired up, I became a great player. I mean, I was just super focused and knew exactly what was going on because your emotions can help control your information filtering. So being in pain and having the migraine, I'm actually very filtered and I'm very focused on just certain things. Mm. Um, when I get sick, and I know there's a fever response in autism too, that we feel very, some of us, and it's, again, autism is always a some answer, but sure. some of us, you know, when we have a fever, feel very differently. And sometimes we feel a lot better, like we feel more cognitively there. Um, when I get a fever, I actually get um, photographic memory. 
That's fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. How the immune system and our wow. cognitive systems and everything interacts. And, you know, again, science was really useful that it separated everything. We got a lot of really great information, but real life is about putting all of that together. And that's called nonlinear, or what we call it a complex adaptive system in, in physics terminology. And that's what I love about what I do is it's using physics. It's just using physics in a way that hasn't been used before. So it's applying it differently. So we're using all the same evidence. We're just making, for me, it's making a much more sense out of it. Mm -hmm. But you know, there's a learning curve there as we learn these whole new sets of rules of science. Gosh, wow. I know, it's so cool. <laughs> I, it, I, we talked for close to an hour the other day, and I still, <laughs> I told you, I was like, I could talk to you for hours on end. It's just, it's so cool. Yeah, um, fascinating. Yeah. And so on your, on your website, um, can, can people reach out to you to, I mean, do, do you, yeah. Take questions and I um I can um I'm also starting um so this year and now that I have more time on my hands <laughs> <laughs> don't worry oh, this thing is crazy um but I I was in the process of starting a social enterprise so um this year I I, I plan on launching uh, the Center for Evolutionary Stress Autism Research and Education. Um, and trying to hire some team and some content providers to, to really get this ramped up and moving. And I've got the support of some really great organizations here in Cincinnati mm -hmm. and, and parents groups. And that's that this really makes a lot of sense. And we really want to just gradually get more and more people involved in thinking. So yes, if anyone has questions, um, I tend to sometimes over answer things, but I will do my best to, to answer them or at least point them in, in a direction for that they can continue uh, researching this or looking things up for themselves. Yeah, that's great. And I'm also going to include all of the links to your social media, um, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. And so yeah. for anyone that has a question for, for Lori, um, she's such a wealth of information and she's so pleasant to talk to as well. You're just a sweet soul. And Aww. I'm so, so happy that we made the connection and I'm just really excited about all of the work that you're doing and just can't thank you enough. Well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you having me on today. Um, you're a delight as well. So you make it easy. <laughs> well, and, and I, I know that you um, just, just, just being a mom and, and I know that you have a family and you're during this crazy time and stuff and just really want for you and your family to, to stay safe and healthy. Um, uh, get, we're all in this crazy thing together. And so um, we'll definitely be thinking about you and your family. And um, thanks so much oh. for being a part of my autism tribe. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. This is a great time for all of us to come together and, and be there for each other. So I appreciate that. I hope that everyone out there is staying safe and healthy if you need someone to listen, if you have a question or concern, we're here for you. Let us know how we can help, how I can help. I know that everyone is doing a great job, even though we may not feel like it sometimes, but you need to keep up the great work, and I'll see you next week. Be well.